Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of We Need to Talk. My guest today is a talented actress best known for her role as Principal Biggs on the hit ABC TV show Blackish, Miss Liz Jenkins. Liz, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for having me. Of I was course. so excited when you asked. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, Liz and I, for the listeners, we've been friends on Twitter for a while. And I actually don't even know when we started following each other because I feel like 2020 lasted for a decade. But I know we were like... Right. Uh, a sense of support for each other throughout the entire year of 2020. So I'm just so glad that we were able to connect because I'm really excited to get to know more about you and hear your story and 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 the everything that you've been doing. But we have a very similar voice on, <laughs> on Twitter. Yes, well, I was so, you know, I think I started following you for like maybe some political views or commentary. And then I was like, oh, what she sings. And then I went and I looked at your Instagram and you have an incredible voice. Oh, like you're you. just multi-talented and it, you know, it's just nice to actually meet people that you are really genuinely close friends with on yeah, Twitter. It's um, cool. so, yeah, it's really cool. So you grew up in Houston, right? Yeah. So, yes, what was, so what was your life like growing up in Texas, being a woman of color, being involved in the arts as well? Well, Houston, Texas has got to be the most diverse place I've ever lived in my entire life. It is truly a melting pot, which is, you know, how a lot of people describe it. So growing up there as a woman of color, I, I felt very, very supported, loved. Um, I had no no really awareness that things could be not diverse. Mm. <laughs> I, you know, our friends circles were very united colors of Benetton, <laughs> you know, like everybody is very diverse. And so yeah. we'd go to one friend's house and have like Indian cuisine one night and we'd have Chinese cuisine another night. And then my mom from Trinidad, we'd have probably spaghetti because she doesn't like to cook. <laughs> Oh but she makes a really good spaghetti, sidebar. <laughs> she has, like, the best spaghetti. It's ragu. It's <laughs> the best. Um, so, yeah, like, it was a it was true melting pot. And as an artist, it was even cooler because you got to see artists flourishing in all shapes and sizes yeah. and colors. Mm -hmm. It was really... Um, it spoiled me rotten for the rest of my life in terms of diversity. So when you moved out to LA and you got involved in acting, was it kind of a culture shock for you? Was there a big change? Cause I know LA technically is pretty diverse, but it sounds like it's not as diverse as where you grew up. Well, so before I moved to LA, I went to undergrad in Evansville, Indiana. So Ooh. that I went from <laughs> high school, who, who is right? My culture shock was that gotcha. I was one of five black girls in the theater department. And in Indiana. I mean, <laughs> in Indiana and specifically Evansville. So Evansville, Indiana has an incredible theater program, okay. uh, a BFA program. For example, Rami Malik went to Evansville, the University mm -hmm. of Evansville. He was there a, a couple of years before me. Kelly Giddish, Carrie Preston from Claws, Rutina Wesley from, mm. yeah, from Queen Sugar. Yeah. These are alumni. So it is an incredible theater pro training program. Yeah. Uh, but the diversity was not so great. <laughs> and that was my culture shock, actually. So by the time I, after undergrad, I, I didn't... Part of the, the issue was that I didn't get a lot of the training that I felt like I deserved as an actress there. Right. And I think part of that problem was the diversity issue. 
So I made it a point to go to graduate school for acting. Like I'd never, I'd been a lead in one show in undergrad where, where it's other actresses there had been leads multiple times. So mm-hmm. I felt, you know, can I carry a show? Like I've only had the, even the opportunity to do it once. So then I went to graduate school in San Diego. That was a little more of a, a diverse place. It was in yeah. La Jolla, uh, California, but really San Diego. And San Diego has a little bit of diversity and mm-hmm. the school itself was much more diverse. So I, you know, it was almost like I was weaning myself out of the true culture shock of yeah. going to school in Indiana. And then by the time, you know, UCSD was lovely. I loved everything about San Diego. I really took it for granted. That city is gorgeous. And it I, is. <laughs> my rent was like $400 at one point. I was like, this is too much. <laughs> Girl, you have no idea. Um, so by the time I got to Los Angeles, the diversity here was much more, um, I was like, okay, we're getting back to what I'm used to. Right. Still, like you said at the beginning, it is not as diverse as Houston. It, is, it can be a little bit segregated here mm-hmm. in LA, mm-hmm. I've noticed. Mm-hmm. But still, I see people at the grocery store that look like me. Right. And I don't feel like, you know, the odd man out and everyone's staring as I did, you know, yeah. in undergrad. So what kind of what made you want to get into acting? Because I know, and I just had this conversation with Kyla Pratt, that, you know, growing up in the 90s and 2000s, we actually had a lot of representation on on television. And even in music, you know, for me, like 90s R&B was lit, you know, <laughs> like that's all you would turn on the radio. My favorite genre. And I'm always like, hey, Google, play 90s R&B. And that's what like Sienna's listening to when we're playing, right? But it's it's so disheartening to see when it just kind of, disappeared you know what I mean it just all of a sudden went away <laughs> I, I definitely read articles about the like the flourishing of the black entertainment industry in the 90s and television and music but I don't think the article touched about up upon why it kind of petered out so I'd be really curious to see if there's like some investigative journaling around perhaps at a major event happened I I really don't know and I would be curious to see because it did just kind of drop off mm-hmm. so um to answer your question when I was in the first grade, my I, we had to do these presentations on something, and my teacher was like, do whatever you want, and I decided to do something very performative. It was like the, probably the first time I'd done anything, you know, look at me and laugh, and yeah, <laughs> look at yeah. me and be entertained. And afterwards, she pulled me aside and was like, I think you're a performer, like, I think you're going to be an actress or a performer or a comedian. Just like keep that in mind. And that really stuck with me because I did remember and notice the feeling that I had inside of me when I was doing it. And it was very, very a powerful feeling to have as like a, a little first grader. My um, also on top of all that, my family is very uh, hilarious. <laughs> Literally everyone in my family is a comedian in their own it. circle of friends. Yeah. Like even my mom, like she's very reserved in general. Like if you met her and she seems really, seems really shy, but when I meet her friends, they're always like, we love your mom. She's so funny. She keeps us laughing at work. And that's like, everyone in my family has those little stories. They're like the funny person at work. And yeah. so I think my family has like an entertainment bug 
in them. And I, I think I'm just the one that was really lucky enough to like go for it and have all the support to do it. That's incredible. It's it's good to hear that you had support because, you know, in the arts, for some reason, even though there's so many uh, cases and statistics showing that the arts change lives positively, a lot of people don't get support from either family or their counterparts when they decide to, to go into this as a full-time career. So your family was supportive of you doing this? Yeah, my mom is from day one has been my biggest fan and supporter and sometimes you know before I could afford therapy she was my therapist after yeah. you know a string of rejection there's no one that I could turn to to like really kind of guide me to not give up but that was her she was yeah. very much like something she says all the time that for a minute I was like, this is annoying and it's what moms say, but it's so true is that like, what is for you, you will get and you will be on the right path and you yeah. are on the right path. Yeah. And it's just such a mom thing to say, but with my um, career and with this industry, it's really true because it's, you don't want to compare to other people, but sometimes it happens because mm -hmm. of the setup of an audition, you know, like you're yeah. literally going up for a role with other people so when you are rejected or you feel rejected I actually don't love to call it rejection it's kind of like a maybe next time because sometimes you don't even do anything wrong you right just don't right. get the part and that's all it is when you're in those situations it's very easy to go well what did I do wrong what could I have done better and with her little nugget of advice of what's for you you will get it's so much easier to let it go after the fact mm -hmm. and not just dwell on it because yeah. that is that's the curse right is dwelling on what you don't have and what you didn't get absolutely how do you manage to keep that mindset when you have gone in for auditions and you didn't get a role that you wanted you know how do you kind of put yourself back or do you allow yourself a little bit of time where like you're like I'm gonna sulk and then I'm gonna get back in it or do you just automatically say you know I didn't get it let's move on I treat myself a lot and in a lot of different ways. One of the things that I was doing before when I had to drive to auditions, if it was a bigger audition that involved like a lot of my, you know, it took like eight pages of memorization and the character was really, you know, a lot. Um, I would treat myself after that audition with something nice. So either it was like getting my nails done or picking up a cookie or picking up coffee or going to Target and wandering and just buying whatever I wanted. I always treated myself quite frankly after every audition like that. Mm -hmm. And that's not to say that the other auditions weren't important. It's just to say I could not literally treat myself every single time. <laughs> I had to like save it for something. But now during the pandemic, I do notice that I miss that sort of you know, the event of going, I don't miss that. I like actually being, I miss meeting casting directors in person, but the yeah. actual driving to appointments, oh, yeah. I don't miss that. And driving right, because that's home. longer than the audition. <laughs> Absolutely it is. The parking was always, a it was a production. So treating yeah. myself afterwards was like a no-brainer. So now during the pandemic, I do find that the, the buildup, the audition and the teardown is so anticlimactic the actual auditions, you know, I still have fun. I still do my work, my character work, and I work on levels and energy and all those things that I know, like, I got to keep up for every single audition. But when I'm, like, taking down my tripod and my lights and my camera, it feels very, like, wah, wah. <laughs> 
<laughs> no matter how right. how well I feel like the audition went. Yeah. And I noticed that I also am thinking about it more. So I, I, I'm losing the ability to kind of let it go afterwards and treat myself to something nice. I'm actually finding that like the rigmarole of like putting it away is like making it linger a little bit mm-hmm, longer. Mm-hmm. And, and another, you know, solely having to do with the pandemic, like after, you know, trickle down effect or whatever you want to call it is you, the process gets so much more stretched out because then you have to decide between like, you know, four or five takes, hopefully not more than that, because quite frankly, if you're not going to get it in five texts, in five takes, you need to close the camera, go back to the sides and like rework it. Yeah. Because you, I mean, that is one piece of advice I will give. If you're sitting there in front of that camera doing take after take after take it's not gonna happen you need to like go back to the material and like refresh but you know the process of then picking between the four or five takes then editing them down and putting the slate in then going into iMovie or whatever you do and like formatting it and then uploading it and then it's just it stretches it all out and I know and then I don't (laughs) get a cookie afterwards or get to go to Target or get my nails done. <laughs> I just am getting completely ripped off here. <laughs> so that's I, funny. Target is a good treat, though. I will say, if that was part of your ritual, it. I ain't mad at it. I mean, it's such a good ritual because it's work. It's it's not. It doesn't look the same as someone driving to the office and working for eight hours, but it's a job. Auditioning is probably the biggest part of the job in a lot of ways and not being able to give yourself any sort of reward for doing such a kind of fairly strenuous job kind of (laughs) sucks. So I I, even just talking about this with you now, I'm like, I need to find ways to reward myself and also maybe change up the ritual of maybe I don't tear down the tripod right away. Maybe I just let it sit there. And at the end of the night, I deal with it. But, I, you know, finding a, a new pandemic way of, you know, dealing with auditions is a must because that really was my savoring grace for a long time was having yeah. the self-love and the treat yourself at the end. Which is so important. And I do love that you, you've you had that ritual with, with your auditions. Um, so I want to, I do want to dive in a little bit about uh, the industry as a whole. You know, you've been a part of it for a while and I'm sure you've seen a lot of ups and downs and you've had your successes and challenges. But one thing I want to talk about is your views on how black culture has influenced the entertainment industry. Because, you know, it's a very common feeling, I think, in the black community to feel like a lot of the things that we've grown up with and a lot of things that we've cultivated to get appropriated and you know reused for other people's benefits but in your own experience how has have you seen that kind of manifest its way specifically within tv and film yeah it it's um a lot and one of the big reckonings i came to this year with myself as an actress and i really do tend to hone in on being like a plus size actress plus size black actress, because it really is a kind of a whole different ball game in a lot of ways. There's a lot of stereotyping Mm. and a lot of assumptions about what women who share the same body type and look like me and their lives consist of. And it doesn't consist of a lot of joy. And that is, um, or success or complexity. And that's like hard to, digest sometimes because I'm a very complex woman. I, I have like a whole 
you know, 50 layers on top of being a plus size black woman. Like I'm quirky. I'm weird. I like, you know, my obsession with nineties music runs deep. (laughs) Like there's a lot to me. And I find that I, it's hard to find a lot of examples in television that are just something to be proud of. Um, they're, they're there, they exist. Um, but there's not that many. Yeah. One of the, the things that I've started to do with agreeing to audition for things is say to myself, like, what is this doing for my community? Mm. And if it is just a miserable woman for the sake of being miserable, I'm starting to say no. Good. And I literally have not said no to a lot of things in my career because I didn't want to miss out. I didn't want to miss out. I needed to pay the bills. I needed health insurance. I don't like saying no, but I've had to start doing it because I know I see what it's doing. And it, and I also realized that unless you we all start saying no, they're going to keep doing it. Yeah. So yeah, like one of the big things with Black women was the whole sassy trope and how like, you know, angry black women were and like sassy or like everything had an attitude around it. I just stopped doing it, especially when the script doesn't even call for it. You know, like I have this sketch idea once of like the way I'm presented with auditions. So for example, if it's like a grieving mother and you're like, okay, this is sad, but I can do this. All Ultimately, some casting directors are going to be like, can you do it a little bit more urban or more sassy? And you're like, okay, a sassy grieving mother. So they just like put the label of sassy on. I'm like, what the heck does that even look like? Like, oh no, my baby didn't die. Like, like, what do you want from me? Right. And also by the time I get there, I'm disgusted with myself. I don't want to do it. So I've just stopped. And sometimes I see things that I've auditioned for that I could tell they were trying to like, lean me towards that and I wouldn't do it. And then I see the final product and they got someone who will do it exactly the way they want. That's how it's going to be until we all are like, we don't need to do this anymore. Right. Right. But I I also can't begrudge people because you got to work. For sure. For sure. And I think the problem is, is like, yeah, you have, you have to work. There's always going to be somebody that's going to do it. It's also like with music, there's always going to be somebody that'll do that little side gig for only 50 bucks when you know that you're worth this much. Absolutely. I'm trying to actually get everybody to be paid more, but you're over here taking this $50 gig. So they're not going to think that anybody has any value. So it's completely the same thing. But the problem that I have is like, what black people are in your life that you think that this is the only way that we talk and speak and think now, granted that there are black people that talk and think and speak that Absolutely. way. Absolutely. But that's the only narrative that we see. And it's so <laughs> problematic. <laughs> Girl, I'm going to tell you, I think none. I think none. I have. <laughs> you like playing simple. They ain't got no black friends in their in their I really do circles. believe it. Or like, um, there's a, a writer that I follow on Twitter and he was calling out all these writer's rooms for not having people of color, especially when the, the main subject line of the story revolves around multiple people of color that's Mm. not okay 
you need to diversify your writer's room because they don't know how to write for us all the time. Right. But that doesn't mean they can't. It just means that that room, because writer's rooms, they're bouncing ideas off of each other. Just because you have a person of color in the writer's room doesn't mean that they're solely writing for that one character. Mm -hmm. They're bouncing ideas. So having a diverse writer's room actually helps everyone in the long run because they're the other writers who maybe don't have black friends in real life are going to learn. Mm-hmm. Or they've only only met one black person, so that's like their quintessential black person, and exactly. all, everything that they're writing is exactly. just based on that one tell. person. That and you met. can tell. I can absolutely tell when nobody has. Well, this is a harsh reality. I can tell when writers don't have any respect for fat people. Mm. I say, by the way, I say fat, and I don't mean it in a negative way. I, I kind of have reclaimed the word. I don't. I'm not bothered by it, but also I know not everybody's like that. So I'll say plus size. But I can tell when a writer doesn't have any plus size friends who love themselves. Mm. Because they'll write these characters that are just every waking hour of their existence is misery Mm. and sadness. And it's heartbreaking because I'm like, well, you know what? There are people that think that are fat that think they're pretty. (laughs) Like we don't all step on the scale and burst into tears. Right, right. We don't all look at other people and are like, I wish I looked like that. (laughs) Like that's not the narrative we all carry. That's, I'm really glad you brought that up because I actually hadn't really ever considered that, but it's so true. Like just even like trying to like think of different like TV shows and movies and stuff, but it's very true because it is sending the message that anybody that's plus side is automatically just unhappy with themselves. Which, which like, which just really ripples throughout society and people hate fat people and they think that fat people hate themselves Mm -hmm. and then they treat them really badly. It's like a really bad really dangerous side effect and then it trickles all the way down to the medical field and then doctors are like well fat people are miserable they hate themselves i'm not going to take them seriously because they don't take themselves seriously so i'm not going to listen to them when they have a real medical problem i'm going to ignore them and everything's going to be it's like really bad so i absolutely now i feel like it's my responsibility in a lot of ways to try to like just change the narrative and like and also why i started writing and i have a a writing partner who's a white gay man and when we write like the way we bounce ideas off of each other is intense because i'm like you know like if the character is like oh i don't want this character to come off angry i'm like black women can be angry because this it is justified here don't shy away from letting this black woman be angry in this moment she deserves to be angry and that's like how the writing evolves and that's how you get yeah yeah that's how you get complex you know, you get Annalise Keatings because I, you guess what? When I was on How to Get Away with Murder, I learned more than I could ever learn in an acting class in two days from Viola Davis. Mm. She just is, is, she just walks and talks in her truth. And therefore, everyone around her needs to do the same thing. And that includes the writers, the producers, everyone around her. Things need to be true for her to do them or for her oh to God. work for her to you know process and to give what yeah. she gives yeah and there's truth in black black women can be alcoholics absolutely they can and i bet you i i wouldn't be surprised if somewhere along the line someone was like well i don't know like we don't want this black woman to seem like this way and it's like she can right it's okay if she does if it's justified and if it's true 
And if there's truth written into it, yeah. no, we don't want you to just write a sassy male lady because why is she sassy? Yeah. She don't yeah. like her job. Why didn't she quit? <laughs> like what's like, you know, there's no truth in it. <laughs> and I, what I also loved about that character when I knew Viola Davis was not messing around was just the authenticity of like her taking her hair off at night. Absolutely. Like because I put my hair on because I'm trying to survive in this, these white spaces yep. and, 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 and uphold these European standards of beauty. But at night I take my hair off and this is who I am. And I was like, yes, yes, of, yes, yes. <laughs> I have to tell you this story and try to keep it without being mean to anybody because I, I, I don't mean any meanness to anybody I just I'm like am I gonna get someone I'll just say it when I was on how to get away with murder I had these like really bright purple um gel nails because I had just discovered gel and I was acting out of pocket with it I was like oh sprinkles and sparkles <laughs> I was doing the most didn't care about work just cared about my nails for hey, a second girl, you got treat you treating yourself <laughs> right but actually this character that I booked on the show was Regina and she was essentially like this this um court clerk who just really was like took her job for real she didn't take Annalise's stuff. She didn't think she was that big of a deal. You know, she she clapped back at Annalisa quite often, um, Annalise. And when I went in the makeup, when I came for my fitting, um, someone was like, oh, I don't know if you can have those nails. Maybe go show them to the makeup people and see if you need to get them redone. And I was like, okay, didn't think twice about it. It happens all the time in the industry. So I go to the makeup trailer and Viola Davis is there. And that was the first time I met her. And I was like, oh my gosh, because she's my favorite. Yes, yes. She's my, my idol. And she's sitting there getting her hair done. And I was like, oh my gosh. I have to come in here and look stupid and ask about my nails. <laughs> What's happening? This is my first interaction. <laughs> so I go up to the other makeup gal. I didn't interrupt because I'm not a fool. And she was like, oh, I don't know. Maybe take them off. And then Viola was like, let me see those nails. And I was like, okay. And she was like, those are cute. Why wouldn't you have those as the character? Why wouldn't she have these? And they were like, sitting there silent and she was like of course she did she's a black woman who cares about the way she looks she can have cute nails she's a clerk she has a nice job but she has cute nails keep your nails and i was like you're like i'm keeping my nails <laughs> uh, i was like oh she just dropped so many like lessons in literally two seconds let me just process uh, like she just so many truths yeah none of that was untrue she was so right it's like so, wow of course and they were like okay keep the nails probably because like who's gonna tell viola no (laughs) they were like yes ma'am she's gonna keep those nails and guess what i felt like it really fed into the character Mm. it really did like of course this woman has her cute little nails done and she was like you know there the other character i'm forgetting his name right now unfortunately but the the guy the really handsome guy that she like had an affair yes nate Leahy. I kind of like began flirting with his character a little bit and that became a thing. Like it helped. She was so right. She was so right. So sorry, full circle. But the whole point is like when there's truth, we can do anything. Yes. But when there's no truth, you're just making fun of us Mm. Mm. and you're just perpetuating very dangerous stereotypes. Yes, absolutely. And I think people also in the entertainment industry don't realize how much power they have in, in in formulating and molding people's perceptions of other races as a whole. Everyone True. benefits from entertainment. Everybody watches TV or listens to music or watches a movie in some way, shape, or form. And if that's your only 
uh, if you don't know people, for example, if you don't know any black people, if you live in Indiana, <laughs> you just don't right. know any black people and your yes. exposure is to this negative stereotype of a yep. black person on TV and film, that's what they're going to think all black people are like. So the Absolutely. really, they really have a lot of responsibility, but for you, what do you feel like you know, TV studios and film studios and executives need to acknowledge and, and, and work on in terms of trying to dismantle those stereotypes, but even even taking a step further, just figuring out how to dismantle the systemic racism. Right. I think one of the big things that they can do is trust in what has already been proven to them time and time again, because Things like Scandal, How to Get Away with Murder, these shows are massive successes. Watchmen is a massive success story of a with a black woman lead, and she has faults. She's not perfect. What there's another show? Oh, uh, Lovecraft County, completely all black sci-fi action adventure. We do not get that. It is hugely successful, but I promise you, there are so many executives that when black writers or producers or anybody present them with these stories, they're like, mm, I don't know. Are people going to want to watch that? And it's like, yeah. Did you see that everybody was watching right. how to get away with her? Right. Right. <laughs> like it's been proven to you. So why, I mean, this is, I'm answering the question as I say it, why do we have to keep proving ourselves, but other people do not? They're just given the opportunities without them batting an eye. Yeah. But we have to prove and we do prove, but then we have to keep proving. Yeah. So I would say if these executives could just trust in what they've already been shown, that's the first step. Mm -hmm. And then in terms of dismantling systematic racism, give more people of color a voice, an actual voice. It, especially when I hear about like certain networks having uh, people of color and the like top positions, I'm always not surprised because the content reflects that. Yeah. But when I hear about like, you know, other whoever's that, and it's like not diverse, hasn't changed in years and years and years. I'm like, I can tell. Yeah. We can all tell. Yeah. Yeah. And again, absolutely. you know, they might not, we also have to accept that like maybe some of these networks or higher ups don't care. They just don't care. It's, I mean, they do only care about money. And yeah. unfortunately we, we do make them a lot of money, but mm -hmm. they might not care yeah. because they feel, you know, I hear horror stories of producers or writers, like, I'm sorry, mostly producers guiding writers away from truths away from the truths of their culture. <laughs> and it's because they don't know. So you have the one person who's in power of molding these stories, leading you further and further away from the honest truth of like what is real about the black culture or the Indian culture or the white culture, or the, sorry, or the Asian culture. Like they're literally leading people astray. And people, honestly, people have to go because if someone, for example, if I'm a writer and I take my script and it gets far enough in the process to get, I get assigned someone to maybe produce it and oversee it. And they're just guiding me away from what I know is right as like this character that I've written. Unfortunately, it's really hard to say no. Yeah. Because you're like, this is my chance. Well, maybe in a couple episodes, I can fix this. Like, what, you know, what are you to do? This is your opportunity and people, everyone says it you have to seize your opportunity but 
sometimes you don't even realize how bad it's gotten until the show airs and you're like, that's not what I wrote. (laughs) I'm sure it is, you know? I'm sure people (laughs) have written lots of brilliant things that have just been messed over and fussed over and tweaked and reworked. And then it airs and they're like, wow, that's really not what I wrote at all. Right, right. But you know, I I am hopeful, and I'm sure you are too. Absolutely. I'm not. I don't know when we'll see like a full circle change, but I think we're starting to get there. But when when you have people like Shonda and and, and Viola and, and Ava, you know, that are just speaking out and and not really caring <laughs> so right. much about what their career is or whatever, but they're they're standing standing in their truth you know, in front of the camera and behind the camera, which I respect so much. And I know that you and I have talked about how recently you would have even gotten involved in politics and talking out more because for so long you were told as an actress not to. So how do you feel now that you are speaking out a little bit more? Do you think it has affected your your career progression at all? Or do you just not care? (laughs) You know, I, it depends on the day. Sometimes I care. Sometimes I don't care. Because ultimately, I want to, I love acting and performing so much. That's what I want to be doing. And the thought of losing a job because someone went to my Twitter and saw that I said Ted Cruz was trash, like that, that's like a twofold insult. Cause I'm like, wow, this man really cost me a job. <laughs> like, right. I but he's also trash. It's like it's the, they can't handle the truth. It's, it's so right. frustrating. Yeah. 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 So I, I have days where I, I worry about that. And I've seen other actors that are like, I don't know, Liz, I wouldn't say this much stuff. And I absolutely understand that and to each their own, but I got to do me. I really yeah. do. And I, at the end of the day, if I really think about it, I don't say anything that ain't the truth. Yeah. And that's not, and also that's not like how I feel in my core. That's not a part of my moral compass. So if I'm telling you that I think that people storming the Capitol is disgusting and uh, someone is looking at that before they hire me and they're like, "Ugh, she said this, maybe I don't want to work on that mm. because if you don't agree on some level to where you can say like, okay, Liz, like maybe while we're, when the show airs, maybe don't post about it the day before. Okay. I can work with that. But if you genuinely are like, whoa, she said this, that's too much. I don't know how we get past that. Because to me, that's like, it was a moral problem in our society. Like that was an opinion. Like, no, it was just a fact. (laughs) And you know, I feel like, unfortunately, one of the things with politics right now is, the way that our industry has talked about is it's a, it's a mess because we have people saying that we're like out of touch and elite. Then we have people saying that we don't do enough. <laughs> then we have people saying that we need to be quiet. So, you know, we don't lose jobs. And then we also have people saying that they feel like they can't speak because like we're intolerant and we can't work with them because they are their conservative views. That is, could not be further from the truth. I know for a fact I've worked with a lot of conservative people over the past few years. This industry is actually way more conservative than people would think. Yeah. yeah. That's not the issue. We're talking about racism. Yeah. <laughs> and that's not a that's not a movable issue for me. Yeah, it's not negotiable. Move that around. <laughs> Nah, it's not negotiable. It's non-negotiable. Yeah. Am I saying that right? Why you are non. I know. (laughs) I have words like that too. I'm like, wait a minute, is that spelled right? I know. I was like, nom nom (laughs) negotiable. 
<laughs> you know, I saw I saw a Twitter thread uh, just the other day, and I, I found it really, really compelling. And and my husband's white, and I read it to him, and he was like, "I have nothing to say to that because that is one hundred percent true." But it was basically talking about white culture. But white culture is avoiding conflict at all costs. And so when you want to tell them the truth, they can't handle it because, you know, in black culture, we have, you know, like a real talk and you tell the real talk and you get direct and you tell them what's up and like, this is what's going on. These are the facts, blah, 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 so-and-so. But they were saying that in, in, in white spaces, there is no version of real talk for them because they have been taught to avoid conflict at all costs. So the more people that you have, like, and so when it, that trans, so that starts in the home. And then when you get to a workplace where there's a normal conflict, they don't know how to handle it because they have been taught at the home not to have any form of conflict and just learn to keep the peace. And I found that so, so interesting. And, and, and a lot of my white friends and white counterparts, they were like, that's exactly how I was raised. And it was wow. like a realization that they knew like, oh, this is why I get so uncomfortable when racism is brought up. This is why I get so uncomfortable when a black female told me something I said to her offended her. When I, I wasn't trying to offend you, I was just saying this. And then they get all frantic and like worried and then they don't want to hear it. And then that's also, this is what was the kicker for me. That is why black people, specifically black women, are always viewed as the aggressors because we are willing to have the dialogue to sure. get past the problem Yep. But because they can't handle the conversation, we're viewed as the problem. Yeah, that is, I need to read that article. Yeah, I'm going to send it to you. I'm going to send it to you. Yeah, that sounds really on point. And I mean, ain't it the kicker too nowadays when you have white friends and you're like, this is how y'all act. And they're like, we do. <laughs> There's so many moments like that nowadays. It's crazy. They're like, yeah, we suck. We do this. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Realization has gotten so real. In like the last year, it's been (laughs) crazy. I can't tell you how many messages I get from like my white friends and they're like, we a mess. <laughs> it's just like I'm laughing, but I'm like, it's true though. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's um, good because for so long there was well, no yeah, self-realization. Now ready to have the real talk. Yeah. yeah. That's, yeah, yeah, I want yeah. to read that article. I'm so curious about yeah, it. I'm going to so. send it to you. It's really, really, really great. And, and it was eye-opening. And I, I shared it on my Facebook, but I'm going to share it on Twitter too. So um, I, I well, love reading just, it. So I, I think I also, the last thing you said too about uh, them viewing Black women as aggressors or, you know, anything like that. I, I so, my dream role is something that is so complex and allow it's like allows a black a, me as an actress to be all of these real things that we are, which is funny, nurturing. We can so strong-willed, sometimes weak, sometimes difficult because it's I difficult such a bad word. How do I want to phrase it? It's not difficult. It's it's like a just everything's justified is my yeah, point. Like yeah. it's all justified and true. These all of these real like if. Let me just tell you, if a black woman is angry, it's for good reason. It's for a reason. Absolutely. I promise you. So when you're writing a black woman and you want her to be sassy or salty to someone, just give her a reason. Yes. At the very least. And if you can't, guess what? 
That woman ain't mad. Right. She ain't sassy. She's perfectly fine. That is like my writing lesson for the world. If you can't justify it, it ain't true. And that's like just the way it is. So my dream role is like someone who has all these truths and gets to be all of those things. Yes. That's what I was trying to say. I love that. It's true. Give her a reason to be angry. Don't just make her angry for for yeah, literally no reason. Yeah, and if you can't justify, let me tell you how many times I've gotten auditions for like a really salty postal worker or TSA agent or DMV person, and I'm like, why are they so angry? Yeah. Like, and why do they have to be a black woman? Because mm-hmm. guess what? When I go to the DMV, it's usually an angry white lady. Let me tell you the truth. <laughs> like, so let them be the angry ones for a little while. Right. Also, in the world right now, they are the most angry. They're yes. the ones that don't want to wear masks. And yes. you know what I mean? They're the most angry. So write them. Let's see what that world looks like for a little bit. And in this moment, I just realized, I think another reason why we're always portrayed that way is because they can't stand that no matter what is thrown at us, we actually are always happy and have joy. Like yeah. our community is always lively and rising and just happy and it's like geez they've been through slavery they've been civil rights they've been in mass incarceration why are these people still smiling it's like the joy break us you can't break our joy you can't break us you can't break us i you know talk about like things just really evolving in the past year i've always felt so proud to be a black person in this world and even with all of the disgusting things that have happened I just get more and more proud of our community and the way that we always rise above. It's not fair. (laughs) It shouldn't be like that, but we do. We always do. And yeah, I think, you know, the reason why we have our our Caucasian friends reaching out and being like, my bad, (laughs) is because they see that very, very clearly. Yeah. Well, Liz, it was such a pleasure chatting with you. Please tell my listeners where they can follow you and find you. You can follow me and my shenanigans on Instagram. My name is Liz Jenkins underscore maybe baby. It's mostly just me and my dog and some TikToks and sometimes like a plant. <laughs> and then you can follow me on Twitter. It's EJ11 Lizzie, L-I-Z-Z-I-E. That's where I'm most active and that's where I, you know, I really cut up. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Well, I know we'll be chatting on Twitter every day, pretty much. I feel like we have some sort of interaction. (laughs) I'm literally going to log off here, go get some water, and then go see what you said on Twitter. (laughs) I love it. Well, thank you for joining me so much on the show. And to the listeners, make sure you subscribe to We Need to Talk and follow Liz and catch her on Blackish, your recurring role. So when does Blackish come on? Hopefully we'll see you on the next episode. Blackish comes on Tuesdays. I was just on last week. Um, I don't have any coming up, but I'm sure something will pop up. By the time this airs, I'm sure I'll be back. Of course. course. (laughs) Hopefully. All right, everyone. And we'll talk to you again next week. Bye.